Um, okay, First John. First John. Last week, uh, we uh, didn't even get past, well, we got, we got past verse one, uh, but today we're going to dive into kind of this, this second part. Um, last week, we, we looked at, you know, we did that introduction type message into the series that we're going to be starting. We looked at the who and the what and the why um, of, you know, what this letter is, uh, important things for us to know. You remember, remember this, this letter um, is, you know, predominantly written to false teachers and people who um, were, were teaching things that just weren't right. And so a lot of things in here, John's trying to just bring uh, correction. He's kind of bringing them back to the basics of a lot of Christian uh, things that they need to know. And uh, we saw that it's, it wasn't to one specific church. You know, like a lot of Paul's letters, it opens up as, uh, you know, two specific people or churches. Uh, this would have been more of a letter that would have been on a circuit of different churches. And so we kind of looked at that last week. We saw in verse one, if you can remember how, basically how John experienced Jesus, uh, that he really saw him. He was an eyewitness. He was uh, this firsthand account where he was able to, uh, you know, uh, handle Jesus. He, was, he heard his voice. He saw him, that he knew what he looked like. Remember, we talked about, uh, we were kind of pondering all those uh, specific things. What, what does Jesus look like in his hair and his skin tone? And, uh, you know, how did he talk? And John knew all this. And so we saw that he kind of started this letter out in verse one, uh, and we saw his credentials. Do you guys remember we talked about his credentials? Uh, credentials is just basically uh, something that allows you to do something. Like you have, one day you'll get a license, right? And you'll be able to drive. That's your credential to be able to drive. Well, John, he's not just writing from, well, I heard this one story from someone. No, he's like, I was there. And he's got something to say. And we're gonna look at uh, what he has to say today. And so uh, what we're gonna do, we're gonna read the portion of scripture that is uh, on the screen that is before us, and then we're going to pray and we'll get into uh, the, the word today, okay? Uh, are you in First John? Okay, everyone say word if you're in First John. All right, you guys got to talk to me today, okay? Uh, so if I ask something, respond, even, even if you're just going to shake your head, that's just a little encouragement to me. Okay, they're, they're, they're awake and alive, okay? It helps me. Um, okay, First John, let's just start in verse one. I know it says two because we already hit verse one, but it'll help us with the context of things. So uh, remember, this is the part where you really wanna pay attention. This is not the time to daydream and you're like, okay, just hurry up and get to the explanation. No, no. Uh, if you follow this, it's gonna help you a lot more um, as we get into it, okay? So starting in verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Verse five. And this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight, 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Father, we just agree with you this morning that this is your word. And we are here, Lord, not to hear from a man, and not to hear from a book, Lord, but to hear from you. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, change our lives. We look to you for everything. Lord, where else are we going to go, honestly? You're it. And so we ask that you would be glorified in this time of study in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we saw John's credentials, verse 1. Now we're going to look at John's concern. Uh, John's concern. And this is really uh, what we're going to see in verses two through four of what he's, his concern, or you could think of it as his desire. This is what John wants for his readers. Remember that John had experienced Jesus, and now his desire is that others would experience it as well. And uh, if you can remember from last week, I gave that illustration of maybe something that uh, you've experienced before. Uh, I, I know uh, someone was sharing with me how they just went on a cruise and he was saying how awesome the experience was and how the, the food was super good. And, you know, they had like this, this basically this huge thing with, uh, you know, different kinds of sushi and you didn't have to take one roll. You could just try, a, you know, a, a hundred different kinds and it was just awesome. And he had a great time. And so I'm sure he would, you know, he was sharing with me, yeah, like, you know, the, the cruise line he went on was good. And there's, that, there's those things that we experience, whether it was a good movie, or maybe some of you guys are watching Disney Plus right now and all the old shows and uh, shows that we grew up with. And, uh, right, and you're, and you're maybe, you're, you're watching some of these and you're like, man, this is so good. Someone else needs to experience this. Remember, this is John's attitude that he experienced Jesus firsthand. And so he knows better than anyone what it's like to know him. And so what he goes on to share and what we see in verses two through four is his desire to want others to experience it as well. Notice in verse two, he says that he bears witness. Uh, do you guys see that in, in verse two? To bear witness to something, it means to testify. It means to bring testimony. It means to offer firsthand authentication, meaning that, that John would be able to come and with hand on the Bible, in a sense, and his hand and swear an oath that he's telling the truth, he would testify on behalf of Jesus. That he'd get up and he would be questioned and he'd say, yep, I saw him. Yep, he did this. He would, John would make a great key witness for the evidence of Jesus because he saw it. And that is the best, the best witness you can get is an eyewitness. And so he says, he says, I bear testimony. Uh, maybe you've experienced this maybe at home. Maybe you've witnessed something that happened between maybe two of your younger siblings or uh, maybe something broke in the house and uh, you had to you know, go before your parents and they say, okay, what happened? Like who broke it? And maybe you had to vouch for, for your siblings. Say, no, they were in their room and that just fell all on its own, right? And you had, to, you had to testify or bear witness to them on their behalf. Or maybe something at school happened and maybe you witnessed a fight go down and then you get called into the 
the principal's office and, and you kind of have to write down what had happened, what you saw. And so right here, this is what John's doing. He's saying, I'm bearing witness to that Jesus uh, is alive, that he resurrected and what he's about to say, that he's bearing witness. And not only is he testifying of who Jesus is, but he's declaring who Jesus is. Look at verse two, right? It says, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was from the father. This is cool. I want you to write this down. The word declare, it means to inform someone of someone else's message, to tell, to proclaim, to announce, to bring back message. Note that down, especially the middle one there, to inform someone of someone else's message. This is big. This is what John was doing. It's not that, remember, John was an eyewitness. He experienced these things. No one told him about it. Uh, it's not that John was like, oh, I heard this from some guy. No, that John's saying, no, I'm declaring to you what Jesus told me. John would have heard the Sermon on the Mount. He would have heard the, the teachings of Jesus over those three, year in, in, three years in his ministry. And so he was just, he's just telling what he knows. The whole book of 1 John, guys, is just John writing down things he knew that Jesus told him. That's what it is. And he's declaring it. It's, it's to inform someone of someone else's message, and it's God's message. And well, what is that? Well, Verse two, he actually says specifically, he declares that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The language here, if you look at the end of verse two, it, he says his message is eternal life, but that eternal life seems to be Jesus himself. He says that eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifested to us. He's speaking about Jesus and it's just interesting to note to me, if you look at John 17, three, this is John writing down the words of Jesus and he quotes him here. And, and in Jesus' prayer here, talking to God, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, it seems uh, that the Bible is, uh, equates Jesus with eternal life. You know, sometimes we think of eternity as what we're gonna get or what we're gonna experience. Uh, but eternal life, guys, is Jesus. It's knowing him. Uh, that is the most, the biggest reward is that. Uh, he is eternal life. And, 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 and as Christians, we have that. And John experienced this. Not yet the eternal life part, but he knew Jesus. He had fellowship with Jesus now. And so to some extent, uh, for a believer, I believe that you know, we experience some part of eternity now. That as believers, we get this amazing connection that though we're not there, we're, we're with him. That there's this amazing word that we're about to look at, which is fellowship. And that is what John wanted them to share in this eternal life. He wanted them to have fellowship in Jesus with him. If you look at verse three, he says that. He talks about how he wants them to have fellowship with him and their fellowship is with Jesus. And this word fellowship, where's your hand if you've ever heard the word fellowship today? Not, not today, I mean just in, in general. For sure, I think, I think a lot of you, uh, if you've grown up in church or if you've been around the room, I'm sure I've used that uh, in the past. I know I have. But the word fellowship, it can kind of seem, just have this like, okay, I, I kind of know what that means. I just don't know how to explain it. At least for me, it's been like that. I'm like, yeah, like let's go have some fellowship. Like let's just talk about the Lord. And, but what, what does the word fellowship mean? It means that there is a commonality that there is a shared, uh, that there's a sharing there. 
Uh, I'm, I'm trying to put it in the most simplest terms. Think about like um, how, how a team has something in common and that there's something they share and it's the fact that they're on the same team. Or think about, I, I always, my, my favorite thing to help me understand fellowship is when I think of the word family, okay? So think about the, about the word family, that there is a certain fellowship, a commonality that you have in your family. Meaning if this Thursday, uh, I showed up on your doorstep. I said, hey, uh, can I celebrate Thanksgiving with you guys? Uh, you could invite me in, and I'm sure you guys would be very welcoming, I, I hope. Uh, maybe give me some, you know, the, the leftover turkey leg or something. But I would, there would be something that would be missing for me. I mean that you guys would have this fellowship, this family connection, and I would kind of be on the outside of that. Maybe you could be very welcoming, but that there's something that you have with your family that, I don't have with your family because it's your family. And same with mine. If you came over to mine, it would, you kind of feel on the outside. Does that make sense? And so this word fellowship is this relational connection sharing aspect. It's, it's more than just being a part of something, but it's actually to have part in something. And for you and I, we are to have fellowship with one another. We're to have this connection because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just a, a cute saying. No, like legit, we're family deeper, thicker than blood, uh, that we will be together, they will have this commonality shared thing for all of eternity. But the whole connection, the only way that we're able to have that fellowship with one another is if we have that fellowship with Jesus. And um, John 14, nine, uh, it's just kind of funny. Uh, Philip kind of mentioned something, one of the disciples, and Jesus says this to him. He says, and Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? And there's this idea here that just because the disciples were with Jesus doesn't mean they were with Jesus. You're like, whoa, what are you talking about? You know, to me, I really think that the disciples developed in the relationship even more so after Jesus was in heaven because they had this Holy Spirit connection where it's one thing to have Jesus alongside of you to talk. It's another experience to have Jesus, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you. And, and so a physical presence doesn't mean that's fellowship. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. Um, it's a shared life. It's a shared life with Jesus. And John's goal, his concern, remember his desire, is that they would take part in this connection that he has that they would also share in this relationship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That as believers, we are called, God calls us into his fellowship, into his family. And so that's what it means. Does that make sense, fellowship? Um, but notice the connection with verse four. Because he's speaking about his fellowship in verse three, but then he very clearly, plainly says in verse four, he says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Guys, fellowship is so connected to joy and joy is so connected to fellowship, fellowship specifically with Jesus. And notice how he says he wants their joy to be full that John's desire for his readers talking about this idea of fellowship and what he's about to get in is because he's actually concerned about that they would live a joyful life. Who doesn't want to have joy in life? And from Jesus, we are able to not just have joy, but that we are able to have fulfilled joy. You see where it says joy may be full? It means complete, lacking nothing. 
Uh, guys, you know that's possible? You are able to have joy. You are able to have something where you are content. God's able to do that. And of course, our sin and flesh gets in the way. But if you have never experienced the joy of the Lord, uh, you're, you're missing out. And there's something wrong with that connection. Guys, when there is something, maybe, maybe there's just a serious lack of joy in your life. Remember, joy is given, not based upon circumstance. Remember we talked about, I don't know, maybe five or six weeks ago, Nehemiah 8 talked about the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we talked about how happy, happiness is based upon what happens. Okay, but joy is given. And so when you see in your life, man, there's just a serious lack of joy and you're just like, I don't know, bitter all the time, angry, upset, irritated, whatever it might be. Um, it might just be for that moment, but there's something in the middle of your fellowship, your connection with, with Jesus, that there's something there. And so it's affecting your joy. He's not able to pour into you how he wants to. Because this is Jesus' desire. It's, it's very familiar speech that we see in John's gospel when quoting Jesus. No doubt, verse four, that, this idea that he wanted their joy to be full, uh, he just stole that straight from Jesus. Cop, uh, he uh, plagiarized, and I think that's okay. John 15, 11, quoting Jesus, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This was Jesus' desire for his disciples. John 16, 24 says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That these verses speak of how it's Jesus' joy in them. That they have to ask, there has to be this connection and, and that then comes the fulfillment of joy. Guys, the idea of joy and fellowship in the Bible uh, and in our walks, they're, they're inseparable. You, you can't get away from uh, how connected they are. I kind of like how Warren Wearsby puts it. Uh, Warren Wearsby was just, uh, uh, he, he died not too long ago, but he was, a, he was known as the pastor's pastor. Um, he was just a, a really great guy, but he said this. He said, but the apostle John writes in effect, uh, he kind of paraphrases uh, what John's intentions were. He says, faith in Jesus Christ gives you a joy that can never be duplicated by the world. I have experienced this joy for myself and I want to share it with you. Guys, this was John's heart, is that he experienced this fellowship and the joy that followed the fellowship. And so he wanted his readers to experience that. And I think you guys get that now. I think you guys see the pattern because this is the pattern for you and, for you and I is that the things that we experience with the Lord, that's what we're to share with other people. Evangelism can sometimes become very daunting and scary. And we think we have to be this amazing theologian or you have to have read the whole Bible or you have to memorize every verse. It's not true. Evangelism, what God expects in your personal evangelistic life is for you just to share what you've experienced, for you to share what you've known and what you've heard and what you believe. Acts 4.20, I love how John and Peter put it um, to people that were, the religious authorities that were trying to silence them. They say this to them, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Guys, look at me. This is all God expects of you. Sometimes this evangelism thing, I know for me, it can become daunting. It can become like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, how am I gonna save the person? It's like, no, no, it's, it's not about that. Literally, what God wants from you is not for you to put on a crusade. He might want that one day, but right now, 
He just wants you to share and experience what have you experienced in your relationship with Jesus? What do you know about him? The smallest of things, the biggest of things. What have you experienced? What have you seen? What have you heard? Share that with other people. It doesn't have to be refined. It doesn't have to be polished. It just has to be about Jesus. Does that make sense? Guys, don't, take that pressure off of your shoulders. I know it's there. Um, for those of you that maybe feel that, feel that burden. Uh, I know I do at times. It's like, oh, I just don't. No, just, just share what you've heard. What do you know? What, what verses do you know? What do you know about Jesus? You'd be surprised. When you start talking, I, this has been happening to me more recently. Uh, and I, you know, I start talking to people and it's like, oh man, I actually know a little more than I think. And <laughs> it's sometimes encouraging. Guys, you, I believe all of you, you know more than you think. And when you just step out in faith, that is when faith is activated. The Holy Spirit's able to come and use you. Being used by God is awesome. And John here uh, doesn't hold back. And so we see John's credentials. We saw that last week. We just read about his concern, fellowship, and joy. And now we're gonna see John's communication. Uh, we're gonna see his communication. We, when we saw that, when we read a moment ago in verses five uh, through chapter two, verse two, uh, his credentials were obvious. They're there. He knew Jesus. His concern was clear. Uh, let's get into his communication. So if you look at verse five, I want you to note verse five down because it's extremely important. Uh, and it's pretty clear too. Uh, that's what I like about first John is like, oh, like it's pretty blunt. It's pretty like, oh, that's just, that means what it means. Uh, you don't have to have this like, you know, crazy background. Well, in, in the history, you know, it's just, oh, that's, that's what it means. He says this, verse five, this is the message which we have heard from him right? Remember, declaring and declare to you, informing someone of someone else's message. And what is, what is this declaration statement? That's what I want you to put next to verse five. It's a declaration statement that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If there's one thing that I think John would uh, stamp on the book of John, first John, uh, is, is this statement, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Not only for the rest of the book is this the declaration statement, uh, but specifically for this section that we're in. And so uh, it's very clear, very unmistakable. And this, this whole concept that God is light, uh, this is an illustration for you and I to understand something about God. Um, and, it, and because we are uh, finite beings, meaning we're not eternal beings. We don't have infinite wisdom and understanding. God oftentimes in the Bible will give us illustrations like this, and I'm thankful for it. Um, if you were with us the Wednesday night before uh, uh, Halloween, we talked about light and darkness. And uh, so often in the Bible, when, God's, when someone enters God's presence, uh, that light is involved. Think about, uh, say, even Moses and the burning bush, right? That, that was Jesus, and he appeared as, as this, this fire, this light. Uh, you think about um, Isaiah's description of, of heaven and how the angels in the presence of God, that they had six wings, and for two of them, uh, they used to cover their face because of God's glory. The Bible describes it as the Shekinah glory of God. It's, it's bright. He's, he's illuminated. Um, and then a, a variety of others as well, even in Revelation 
uh, in, in eternity, there's gonna, on the new earth and new heaven, there's gonna be no sun anymore. Uh, the sun will literally be the presence of Jesus. That he, there's just this radiation thing. Think about Moses uh, meeting with God on the mountain. He comes back and his face is glowing. Uh, Saul in Damascus, the light is shining. Do you guys get where I'm going with this? Light, light, light. So often God is represented like this. Uh, John 8, 12, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, uh, but have the light of life. And this idea that, that God is light and everything else that is not God is darkness helps us understand something very fundamental about God. And what is that? Uh, it's the idea that God is good. He is the very source of good. And anything up that is without God is without good. Therefore, it makes it evil and sin. Let me illustrate in this way. Uh, if you were with us on the Wednesday, then this will be repetitive. But do you guys know that there is no such thing as darkness? Like, think about light and darkness. Like, there's no such thing as darkness. It's not something to measure. You can't measure how dark something is. You can only measure how much light is not there. That darkness is simply the absence of light. It's not, it's not of substance. And the same thing is true with good and evil. That what is sin? Sin is nothing tangible of itself. It's the absence of God. It is the choice away from God. Why is something evil? It's because God's not in it. Why is something sinful? It's because God has not said that's okay. Anything apart from God is evil and dark. Does that make sense? And so this is the great concept where it's like, oh man, it clicks. God is light, perfect, holy, pure, no darkness at all. And anything that's not of God is it's not something of itself, but it's, it's the absence. It's evil because God's not there. God is the source. Does that make sense? And so this is his declaration statement, and this is powerful, and we could talk about it for a long time, but the idea is that God is good, and there's nothing evil in him. There's no sin. God's never had a bad thought. God's never done something. He's never made a mistake, and this is important because we need God to be like that. It's a necessity. Uh, if, if God was not perfect, we, I mean, everything would be messed up the sacrifice of Jesus, if he didn't live a perfect life, then you and I are still going to hell. But with him, because of his example, because God is perfect, so then in human form, Jesus, he was able to live a life that was completely pure, holy, and so the sacrifice, the trading places, we get, we get his perfect life. It's awesome, and this is important. And remember, the false teachers of that day were teaching something different. And so John lays the foundation and uh, for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at six uh, if statements. So if you look at verses six through uh, chapter two, verse two, he follows this declaration statement with six different of what we're going to call today if statements. So look in your Bibles right now. Just look ahead. Look at verse six. What does it start with? It starts with if. Look at verse seven. What does it start with? Come on. Starts with if, but, okay, yeah, come, okay, that's true. It does start with a but. Okay, look at verse, uh, <laughs> look at verse nine, if, look at verse 10, if. There, there is these if statements, um, 
and that's what we're going to look at. And there are six conditional statements regarding light and darkness, good and evil in our own personal life. What I want you to take notice of as we go through these is that there are pairs. Do you guys know what a pair is? Two, right? And so within the six, what's six divided by two? Three. Three. So there's three pairs. And so the first two ifs, so the first if and the second if, they go together. Then the third and the fourth, they go together. There, there's one negative and one positive. And so the first one is gonna be negative. Then the second if will be positive, And then it'll go in that pattern, negative and then the positive, negative and then the positive. And what you're gonna see on the screen is uh, only the scripture. Um, one of the best ways to understand the Bible is just to kind of break it up. And so that's what we're doing today. We're just kind of breaking it up, seeing what's there and seeing what God wants to speak to us. You guys ready? Okay, they're pretty, they're pretty blunt. They're pretty black and white. There's no kind of mistaking these. So uh, be prepared. Uh, verse six, the first if uh, is negative and the condition is this. Do you guys mind if I come hang out with you guys down here? Is that cool? Okay, the condition is this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that's the condition, meaning uh, this, is the, this is the hypothetical situation. The condition is if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. So it's, it's like this. If I, if I tell you, hey, um, I'm a Christian. I have fellowship with God. There's this family connection that I have with Jesus personally. Uh, and then you look at my life and I have a pattern of sinful living. The word walk here doesn't just mean, you know, a, a once, uh, a slip up or a, a lapse or a struggling to fight against sin. No, walking in darkness shows a pattern of living. It's a lifestyle. And so if someone were to say, hey, I have fellowship with God. Maybe you know someone like this. I know I do. Um, hopefully, maybe it's you. Maybe you would say, yeah, I have, I have fellowship with God. But then in your life, it would be marked by darkness. Okay, we all sin. We're not perfect. And John will establish that in a moment. But right here, he's talking about the person who claims Christ, uh, but their, their life, anyone would say, even the world would almost like say, yeah, it's, it's just full of, of darkness, evil. Okay, make sense? And then the conclusion in verse six would be, then that person, then we lie and do not practice the truth. So, which each, with each of these statements, we're gonna see the condition and the conclusion. The conclusion for someone that says that but then lives that way, well, shows that they're lying. It's a false confession, that they're lying and they don't actually practice. Practice is the same kind of word. It's this habit, right? When you go to practice, it's this, it's this habitual thing that you do. Um, that's what habitual means. Think about habit. It's this repetitive thing. And it shows that, well, you, you say it, but it's not actually true. And what I want you to notice which, with each of the negative statements is a progression with the word lie. So this first one is that if you do this, if this is you, then you're lying to others around you and you're not really practicing the truth, okay? Kind of harsh, kind of blunt, kind of there, but he he's, has this train of thought, okay? Look at the second if statement. Look at it in your Bibles, uh, verse seven. Uh, the first condition is if we walk in the light as he is in the light. And so this is the positive uh, you know, uh, contrast here uh, for, the, for the last one. Well, let's say someone does claim Christ and does, yeah, I, I have fellowship with him. And then their life shows it that they, yeah, they are walking in the light. Of course, there's sin here and there, but they're pursuing Christ. They're, they're trying uh, to develop in their relationship. 
and they're walking in the light. That more than darkness, someone would, would be able to stamp light on their life. Well, then the conclusion for that uh, would be, um, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Guys, this is just the scripture, verse seven, put on a screen, broken up into two parts. That the conclusion is, okay, then, then you're gonna be able to connect with other believers. One of the things that you wanna question in your own heart, if you are not able to talk to the Lord about someone else and have fellowship with someone and to be able to share in that connection, that's when you wanna start asking, do you even have that connection with Jesus? I'm not saying if you're having a hard time connecting with people, that means you're not saved. But if there's, if there's any believer and you're just like, I've never had any spiritual conversation with anyone about the Lord or anything, you should, that, that should be a, a red flag. It doesn't mean, okay, jump off the cliff, but it's a red flag. There might be something there. Um, and of course, you know, if we're walking in the light, he's in the light, then uh, the blood of Jesus Christ is, is cleansing. Third if statement. Are you guys following? Yes? You guys getting it? Is anyone like so far out in left field and they're just staring at the, the stands and picking the grass? No? Okay. All right. <laughs> Third if statement. Uh, the condition is if we say that we have no sin. So here's another claim, right? Here's another statement. Someone were to say, I have no sin. Uh, and this is more in the present tense. Not that they necessarily haven't sinned in the past, but that, that they have no sin. That they go on, uh, maybe now that Jesus saved them, they don't sin anymore. It's just not, it's just not true. Um, we, as believers, we still sin. And to claim that we don't sin, um, the conclusion is this, is that we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. I mean, think about, it is a pretty bold claim, right? To say, we have no sin. I mean, think about your life. Just think about yesterday. Yesterday was Saturday. Think how many times you maybe sinned yesterday. I could think of a couple, I'm sure. Um, and we, we mess up. There, there's things, we, we have wrong thoughts at times. Now, that shouldn't be the rule. It should be more of the exception. But to say that we have no sin, uh, now we're not just lying to others, we're actually lying to ourselves. Um, and there's this progression there. And the truth really uh, isn't in us that, that God's word doesn't have that place in us. And then the counteractive positive version of saying the opposite of saying that we have no sin is to confess your sin. That's the opposite, right? You guys tracking the, the pattern here? Yes? So the condition for the fourth if is if we confess our sin then the conclusion is that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank the Lord. Thank God that God's never closed for forgiveness. I mean, imagine, imagine if you, you know, I don't know, you slipped, maybe you yelled at your mom, uh, which you would get consequences here and there. Um, and, you know, you, you did something that was just, you, you know, sinful. And so you confess and, and you pray and you, Lord, would you, would you forgive me? I, Lord, would you strengthen me to not do that again? I know that sin was against you. And then imagine if you heard a response back from God and say, oh, sorry, uh, heaven's closed. Try again next week. See, that's what it means when he's faithful is that he doesn't do that. Is that forgiveness is always available. If you're willing to humble yourself and confess your sins, God is always willing uh, to forgive you. Now that doesn't give us a license to, okay, God's gonna forgive me, so I'm gonna sin today. No, God sees your heart and, um, and there's obviously other issues there. Um, 
but God's faithful and he's also just. Meaning it's not that when you come to him, he, he can just, oh, okay, I'm just gonna turn a blind eye. I'm gonna forget that you didn't do that. No, the reason that he's just in doing it means that, that, he's, that it's something that is, that is full of justice. Think about justice. That he's actually able to do that because he looks at Jesus, sees his sacrifice, and then accounts it to you. He says, okay, I can forgive you, not because you're asking for forgiveness, but because of what Jesus did. You guys know that if Jesus didn't do what he did, even if we ask God to forgive us, we would have to still pay that penalty, right? I mean, think about someone that commits a crime. They can't just go up to the judge and say, uh, hey, uh, can you forgive me? They're like, yes, you're now spending 20 years in prison, right? <laughs> they could forgive them, but that doesn't mean the consequence. But for Jesus, how awesome is that? Think how clear and awesome that is, is that he, he can do that because someone else took the payment penalty. And so we can ask for forgiveness. And remember this, the condition for fellowship is confession. You guys hear me? So the condition for fellowship is confession. Meaning if there are, if there is something unconfessed in your life that maybe you've been doing and you know, God's told you not to, or maybe there's something you're not doing, you know, God has told you to do it. uh, And there's unconfessed sin, then there is going to be a disconnect between you and the Lord. The Bible describes very clearly that sin is separating. Uh, Never forget that sin always separates and it puts a divide. It's not that God can't hear you, it's that he refuses until you're willing to confess. And then he he is faithful and just to forgive you and not only forgive you, he'll come and he'll he'll clean things up. He'll do work uh, in your life. And so that is the fourth statement. The fifth uh, if statement uh, is if we say that we have not sinned, So it's very similar to verse eight, um, but speaking uh, specifically even of past sins, where it says sinned as in uh, the past. Um, And and it's very similar in that way uh, of just saying that, yeah, I I don't need sin. And maybe you're saying, well, I would never say that. Do you live that way? This is what these two kind of statements really say. It's it's saying that sin uh, isn't a big deal, that my sin doesn't need to be dealt with. And if you live that way, then you would, you, your condition would be uh, this kind of statement. Maybe you wouldn't say, well, I've never sinned. But to not live in a way of needing Jesus as a savior, you're saying that you can handle it on your own. And you simply can't. And, it, and ultimately, to say this, uh, you not just lie to yourself, uh, lie to others, but you make him a liar and his word is not in us. Look at verse 10. I'm not making that up that God would consider if we make this statement or we live this kind of life, saying, ah, sin is not a big deal. Uh, we're calling God a liar, um, which is obviously a big deal. Um, and his word is not in us, meaning that, that it shows that God doesn't really have any place in our life. But my favorite of all, the sixth one, and this is the positive version, right, of the first one. This is the, this is the, kind of counteractive contrast of, sorry, the the fifth one, what we just looked at, to say that there is no sin. And then we see this this one, this is my, I'm very thankful that John gets into this. He says, okay, if anyone sins, if anyone sins, this is the condition. And this is very encouraging because like I shared, uh, there's, I still sin occasionally, that there's still that sin uh, that dwell, the Bible describes that dwells in our flesh not marked by sin, but lapses for sure. Um, do you guys, 
Am I alone in this? Or do you guys struggle with that? Um, <laughs> oh, man, for sure. And it's, man, it seems like the closer you get to Jesus and the further you walk with him, you're like, okay, I thought I had that area good, and God's light is very exposing. So when you get closer to his light, uh, you just realize how, how messed up we really are. Uh, but the conclusion is this, is that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is our propitiation for not just us, but also for the whole world, the verse goes on to say. And so there's two things that Jesus uh, is for us. That if you sin, uh, it's not that, oh, it's okay, um, but that it doesn't mean that God kicks you out of his family, right? It doesn't mean that there is now nothing that can be done about it. No, that is, we have Jesus not just as our one-time sacrifice, but he is in heaven right now at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is advocating on your behalf. The Bible also says that he's interceding, meaning he's, right now he's praying for you. Uh, he, he's talking to God uh, about you, that there is this, that he stands there interceding on your behalf. But the one of the things that he does is when the Bible describes him as our advocate, this is actually, which is crazy, uh, you might not care, but it's the same word as parakletos, which is that Greek word that we're using uh, as the Holy Spirit. Every other time in scripture, it's referred to as the Holy Spirit. This time, that, that word advocate or parakletos, it's referred to as Jesus, showing that just the amazing Godhead Trinity, super cool. But anyway, uh, when he's our advocate, it's that same idea that he's our helper, that it's actually a legal term that he is our counsel for our defense. So imagine if you did something, right? If you did something and um, you had to go then to court and so you would hire an attorney, right? You'd have someone uh, defending you. And Jesus, he defends us at the throne room of God. The Bible describes Satan as an accuser, which he comes up and he'll, we see this with the book of Job, if you can remember, he goes to the throne room of God and he says, hey, uh, uh, and, and he begins to, you know, uh, talk to God on, on behalf of, uh, of Job. And there's other places that he is the accuser of the brethren. I mean, that he comes and, and you know, he'll point out, hey, uh, Joel, do you see what he did yesterday? Do you see what he did yesterday, God? And Jesus will step in on my behalf and say, uh, he's covered. He's got my sacrifice, my blood, good to go. Yes, he sinned. Uh, but he's good in the eyes of the Lord that he is pure, righteous, and holy. Uh, it's awesome. And he's our advocate. He's doing that. Um, and the reason that he can be our advocate is only first because he was our propitiation. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Uh, it means sacrifice. It means the one to take our place. That he, the only reason he can stand to be our counsel of our defense is because he first um, was our propitiation. He can say, no, I, I'm the one that took his sin, past, present, and future. You guys know that, right? That if you're a believer today, that every sin you will commit in the future, it was already taken care of at the cross. That Jesus is able to look back and say, oh, no, it, oh, no, that one was covered. Everything, the sin of the world he took upon himself. He's our propitiation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's amazing. And that's that whole idea of trading places. This, guys, this is what 
This is the gospel. If any verse I think just encompasses the gospel, it is this one. That this is the idea of propitiation, that, that there is this trading of places, that our imperfect life goes to Jesus on the cross. We get his perfect life. If we even do sin, uh, as long as we confess, then, then we're good in regards to fellowship. Guys, if you are a believer, you cannot lose your salvation. Scriptures clearly teach that. But do you claim to be a believer, but your life is full of darkness? It's a different story. Um, and so, guys, this is the gospel, and it is awesome. Um, I just want to encourage you as we, as we close. Um, guys, this is our season. This is our December, Thanksgiving even. This is the Christian's month, uh, and I love it because of that. It is... Uh, Whatever you have experienced, whatever you have, whatever you know about the Lord, guys, share it. Share the gospel. Share these verses. Um, and share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Uh, the reality is, is that this is the most important thing. And so I want to encourage you, go back through this week. I know you guys have Thanksgiving, so you have a little more time off. Go back and re read through what we did today. Go look at those if statements and kind of match up, okay, where, where am I at? Um, do I... Say one thing, do another. Make sure, I, if there's any verse that I encourage you to memorize, it'd be 1 John 1, 9. Uh, that is when I go off and back to. When I do mess up and then I feel defeated and I just want to do nothing. And then Jesus reminds me, yeah, I already paid for that. So why don't you get up from sul sulking and let's, let's get going for things I have. Sometimes we get down and depressed about things that have already been taken care of. Uh, and, that, and that is our sin. And so... If there is anything to today uh, that's unconfessed, that's not there, uh, then, then do that. What's up, man? Uh, what was the thing that you said to memorize? 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9. You want to keep that one in your heart for sure. But we're going we're to worship. Worship, you can come out. But if there is anything that's just like, man, I, 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 I don't want that separation. I want that fellowship. I want that joy. Um, I think a lot of our lives at times... Um, we, we can be separated from the Lord. Maybe not for long periods of time, but for moments for sure. And so you worship him. You thank him for what he's done for you and, and let's worship. Father, we come before you and um, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray that these truths, Lord, uh, these very black and white, clear, unmistakable, Lord, that they would sink down into our hearts, that we would understand the gospel and the most important story, the most important truth that, that we can know, that we'd understand that, that as a believer that we have you as our advocate, our helper, Lord, our counsel for our defense. Lord, that we'd understand that you are our propitiation, that you are our sacrifice. Lord, what more is there to say except just thank you. Thank you that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin, that we don't have to, to do the time, that we don't have to pay the punishment that you took it for us on the cross and you did it as an innocent man. Lord, we should be on that cross, but you came, you died, you rose again, Lord, uh, signifying that we have life in you and we just worship you. And, and, and I just pray, Lord, for us and definitely including myself, Lord, that this week as we just maybe get some time off, spend some time with family, Lord, that you would open up some opportunities. Lord, we want others to, to share in this fellowship, this joy that we have in you. Lord, we, we know that, Lord, that without you, that our family members, our friends, Lord, they're, they're on their pathway to destruction. 
Lord, help us to stand in the gap like you did for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.